Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. I'm your snarky seminarian and Religionless Church host, Mason Meniga. In this episode, I talk with Anthony Mako. Anthony is a worship leader, theologian, and host of Postmodern Liturgy. Also musically featured throughout this episode is They Drove Us from the Garden. They Drove Us from the Garden is a post-rock band from Texas. You can get connected with both Anthony and They Drove Us from the Garden and their work in the links in the episode description. In the links in the description, you will also find my website, masonmeninga.com, where you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. If religionless church matters to you, there are two ways you can support. First, give the podcast a rating and a review. This not only offers thoughts and evaluations to others considering listening to the podcast, but it also informs me upon what to improve with the podcast. The second way to support is become a patron of my Patreon page. Patreon is a service where supporters financially support creators. With currently three different tiers varying from $1 to $10 a month, you receive respective rewards for supporting my work. Rewards include papers I write, upcoming Religionless Church episode previews, lectures I create, and much more. The links to connect to and support me and my work, including my Patreon page, are all in the episode description. I no longer wish to be your object cause of desire, as I, with my begging rambling, prevent you from your object of desire of this awaiting episode. Therefore, here it is, Religionless Church. Today we have Anthony Mako, and Anthony is the podcast host for Postmodern Liturgy. And if that those two words, postmodern and liturgy, put together, perks your ears up, uh, that's what it did for me as well. So we're you're probably interested in the same conversation as I am if you're interested in those two words being put together. Uh, so Anthony, you do really, really cool work uh, with postmodern, but... I'm I'm sure, and you mentioned you you have kids, so I'm sure there's a lot more to Anthony than just a podcast host. So, who is Anthony Mako to Anthony Mako? Yeah, I, that's a question that first of all, thanks for having me on. But second of all, that's a question that I wrestle with all the time. Obviously, mm. you, if you get into postmodern uh, ideas, then you have these you're bombarded with questions of who are you and all this existentialism, obviously right, stuff like that. Right. And so it's a question I wrestle with all the time. 
Um, I hope I'm a, I'm a good uh, father, husband type. That's actually my primary focus. Um, I'm a musician. I really, uh, from, I was, I've been a worship leader for quite a while. I've been sort of in different churches for about 15 years. Um, okay. And that, that's what I originally got my undergrad in. Uh, and, but I've always been the worship leader that sort of was questioning things. And sometimes it's like, um, just sing the songs. We just stop asking questions uh, so much and just sing the songs. And so I sort of have tried to hold on to that musicianship through all the ideas mm-hmm. I have and the thoughts I have, and then also use music as a language. So I would say that's if you wanted to define me, using music as a language is a huge thing for me. And mm-hmm. so bringing in different ideas and uh, from all sorts of music, music genres, um, I, I just love narrative and i love so i love movies with i i, I like baseball movies that make me cry i like you know <laughs> different, like, like the rookie i like oh yeah i mean if you say a baseball movie i've cried during it probably even like Major uh, League. what what about um the sandlot how about the sandlot you cried during that one? Oh, yeah yeah the end when he steals home come on oh that's true that's true so with that said uh, as you mentioned that you've been in worship leading for quite some time you have a really interesting spiritual journey. What led you from growing up in a church of the Nazarene to postmodernism? That's, I don't usually equate those two and two together. So what what happened? Uh, tell us this, that story. Yeah, totally. I feel like I, the first answer out of my mouth should be Peter Rollins led me to it. But uh, I, I <laughs> can that. expound upon that a little bit more. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the church. I wasn't, uh, I've never been Nazarene for the record. I never officially signed the papers. Ooh. Whatever, but yeah, but I have worked in Nazarene for a while. Um, I, I'm sort of a, a second generation evangelical. Uh, my parents converted from Catholicism. Okay. Um, and the reason that's important, I think to me is because they didn't have this like buy-in to an evangelical church when they, when they were going to church. So they, they were, they held it a little more loosely. And, um, with the things that I would deconstruct later, I never got those from my parents. I got them from the church, which is very interesting because a lot of people get them from their parents. Right. Um, so that when I started questioning, I had a pretty safe environment to question in because my parents weren't so dedicated to that institution. Um, but yeah, so I grew, I did, I have always been in sort of evangelical or Wesleyan contexts. Um, and as I was growing up, I was, uh, I, I did the whole, like, <laughs> it's so simple and funny, but I did the whole, like, uh, didn't, I cussed a little bit in middle school. Ooh, <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, I know. I know. And then in high school, I was like, all right, you got to get serious about this thing. No cussing in high school. So I didn't do that. But th- that's basically how I viewed everything. Um, and as I started to, I, I just became a completely different person. But when I went to college, uh, I decided to minor in philosophy, which was the beginning of the end, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed a minor. I was music, and I've always just been mostly defined by musician. Uh, and I, I needed a minor, so I tried youth ministry for about five minutes, and I was like, this is not me. Uh, <laughs> how about, you know, like, oh, philosophy's on the list, and it seems like it could be easy. Uh, and, and that was like a thing that just pinged in my head. Okay, I started getting into these ideas, and I love them. Uh, but that was also the point where I was basically like, okay, question everything, essentially. Mm. Um, And uh, I literally said, I'm not going to work in a church. And the first thing I did after college was work in a church. Um, (laughs) I can't even justify some of this stuff to you. But like I said, I wasn't going to do it. And then I I started doing it. 
Um, but the whole time, I think I've been in good contexts where I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, I was coming into being a worship leader during the the height of the worship wars mm, and mm-hmm. kept being asked to change these congregations. Like uh, in many in many of my contexts, it was like, you know, we realize we have to change something. Will you help us do that? Um, so I've always been a part of movements that were changing things. Um, so to some extent, I was given the freedom to question a lot of stuff. I was probably questioning more outside the box than they had envisioned I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where these ideas started, um, mixed with the philosophy of doubt everything, uh, which is basically what I took away from it. And then I encountered people like Peter Rollins, uh, Jack Caputo, stuff like that. That's that's what I started reading. And that was the opening um, I'm dealing with this pressure from different churches where I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I, I, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. Not that I, not that I've thrown the whole thing out and I'm just playing this game uh, for a job. I've just always been dedicated to, okay, I, I got to go with what I believe here. And I'm not feeling this thing that's going on in the church where just mm. buy into everything. Don't question it. Um, and so I started reading and at the end of this story, I guess, is that when I went to seminary, I can shout out the Portland Seminary and just say it was an awesome journey. Mm-hmm. When I went to seminary, I was given enough freedom uh, to look into different themes. And when I got into a contemporary uh, contemporary theological trends class, um, I was just opened up to all these different streams of postmodern theology, mm-hmm. um, which is a mixture, a bit of postmodern philosophy, but then encompasses liberation stuff. Uh, right. post-colonial stuff, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that was the moment where it was like, actually like growth is digging deeper into these things. These things aren't like what I would have assumed my entire life. These ideas are not working against a Christian faith. They're actually trying to establish a deeper Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's sort of the premise behind everything that I'm trying to do is say, don't be afraid of this stuff. It actually helps you to grow. Um, and it, it often moves through cycles where you feel really shaky about everything going on. But at some point you start to get used to that and say, I wasn't the things that I assumed, I just felt safe. In. It doesn't make them like correct in any sense. I just mm-hmm. felt good about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep questioning, keep looking at things from different angles. I don't know. Hopefully that was an answer to your question. For those who might be unfamiliar, can you give a brief explanation of what postmodern and deconstruction mean? Um, I, I, we, we are probably going to be throwing those terms around quite often in this in this chat, so I, I just want make make to make sure our the listeners are have a common common understanding of what we mean by those. Totally. Uh, so I think I have to say this: postmodernism kind of doesn't mean anything. Uh, mm. <laughs> so like and. 
if I came on this podcast and said, like, here's what postmodern means, I would get just attacked from every postmodern level <laughs> saying, well, it's not exactly that. Like, that's sort of the nature of this community is to just question. Um, it, it does, in a sense, mean it's at its core, it's a rejection of modernism, or at least a questioning of modernism. It's not seek the, the modern time period after the Enlightenment till now. We're sort of, nobody's really going to establish a time frame for postmodernism. But we're sort of questioning modernism. It's not trying to establish a new like epoch. Mm, it's mm -hmm. saying, no, this is the time where we're, we're refining the lessons we learned from modernism and moving forward towards something else. But you probably wouldn't call this a set thing, uh, which is so annoying to try and explain to people. Exactly. Um, but it's super fun. Like, I, I enjoy being in it, and I don't feel pressure from that. Like we're not in a new thing, but it's really hard to explain to people. Yeah. Um, so then, I so postmodern like theology would be sort of the same thing, where you say, okay, these the ways that the theology has been intertwined with modernism or the Enlightenment, any of those ideas, we're going to start questioning those. And many times, postmodernism is as much of a return to before modernism as it is looking forward to some outrageous mm. new idea mm -hmm. it's to say look at the mystics look at the you know any of those examples of before enlightenment and say let's go back there and see where we got skewed off track um so i postmodernism, i would say is a, a deep questioning and, and you get into all these different streams of that i mentioned before even what about deconstruction? That's a word that uh, a lot of people throw around. Uh, I, I think a lot of people that might throw around it might not know actually where its root means or where, where it actually came from. So what, what do you mean by deconstruction? Yeah, so the way I look at deconstruction, you can maybe add more to this, but the way I look at deconstruction is it's not chop. If you think of a skeleton of a house or you know anything you've built, call the house your worldview. It's it, skeleton of the worldview. Um, it's not chopping out the bottom from under it and watching it collapse. Although sometimes it can be that, but <laughs> it's more taking each piece apart and looking at it and say, what function does this serve in my worldview? Is this actually holding anything up? It's sort of like if you're going into a house to remodel it, is this a load bearing wall or is this not a load bearing wall? Mm. Uh, let's look at each piece. And uh, so the deconstruction part is it's actually far more intentional than it often is, you know, set as, uh, because you look at each piece, you say, is this necessary for what we're doing here? Um, it's not actually burning down the house, which is, mm -hmm. I think, sometimes the way it's labeled. Mm -hmm. So with all that said, then, what is postmodern liturgy to you? What, what does that mean to you? Yeah, totally. It's, it's sort of a playful phrase, honestly. It was like the best way to describe, because I'm almost working with two couple terms that have lost their meaning largely mm. mm -hmm. so it was so and i actually just was i was rereading um john caputo's book uh, who's afraid of de or not what would jesus deconstruct yep, yep. Is what it's called and i found the phrase postmodern liturgy so i realized that i sort of borrowed that from him without even love sort of subconscious that was a really formative book for me but um essentially to me postmodern liturgy is this idea that um working liturgy is the work of the people it is how we sort of gather together and worship and questioning has not largely been a part of that process mm. so can i offer a space where questioning is a part of the process and we and then also a lot of the ways um the postmodern interpretations of scripture or something like that they're often like 
I guess the only way I can say it is it's the best way to interpret it. And it's been mm. like co-opted. So it's kind of looking back, it's deconstructive in that saying like, okay, this has meant this for a long time. And if we go back, it's not really what it means. So it's, it's like looking at it and saying, this scripture has become an essential part of our worldview. And it doesn't mean what we think it means, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but then also just me bringing in music to the process, because that's what I love to do. Right. And sort of returning to a narrative where I can, I, I've sort of always enjoyed, I love soundtracks for shows and soundtracks oh, for movies. And so the way I think of it is essentially soundtracking the process of questioning on a regular basis. But then um, just like a, it's essentially spiritual formation that honors questioning because I, there's lots of people doing that, but um, you either, the choice for a long time has been, do I, do I shut this whole thing down and leave Christianity altogether? Or do I just shut up? and participate in the mm. process and I'm saying, well, what if we don't do either one of those? What if mm. there's as many people have said, as Richard Roros talks about a third way. Mm -hmm. So when we think about deconstruction, uh, deconstruction, if you want to do oh, your little French thing with go. Derrida, French, yeah. uh, a lot of people may or may not be familiar that Derrida, uh, Jacques Derrida from a French philosopher back in the, the, the 20th century, uh, kind of coined the term and came up with the idea of deconstruction. And so my question to you then is, how does one place an ecclesiology, specifically a, a liturgy, in conversation with Derrida? Yeah, I can. I maybe the best way to answer that question is through like one example that I've written about recently on postmodern liturgy, though. Um, so one of Derrida's most famous phrases is the truth is in the uh, text or mm -hmm. actually probably better translated. The truth is in the context of, of the text. Mm -hmm. So you cannot arrive at meaning, uh, without knowing the context. Right. And, um, so working with Derrida there, I, I can't think of any postmodern philosophers. Derrida was probably the most friendly to Christianity, which is not to say he was at all. It's right. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So generally, they've been atheist or agnostic, yeah, yeah. something like Mr. that. Mr. Rightfully passing for an atheist. Yes, yeah. So it, it, it's not super friendly, but there's a lot of practices within, like Derrida, for example. There's there were several um, there were several philosophers slash theologians that sort of worked with Derrida's framework and brought it back in and said, okay, we'll we'll use your practice and bring it into Christianity and say, what do we do with this? Um, but Derrida offers us the chance to say. Yeah, we have to look at the context of when these things were said. So is the Bible actually anti-woman? Or mm. is that what the time, you know, no, it's not. I mean, I can confidently say, no, it's not. That context is anti-female. Um, but the broader themes in the Bible don't translate once you realize the context and we take our mm. current context and mix it in.
when a lot of people think about a progressive or postmodern church, they immediately think of maybe the UCC or the Episcopal Church, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that doesn't seem to be what you're attempting to capture ecclesially. So what makes postmodern liturgy different than that of a liturgy of a really high church or a mainline liberal church? Yeah, I, I think it is similar. And because I, it, I'm not trying to replace a church. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to start a new church. I've never really had a desire to do that. I hope this is, I hope postmodern liturgy is, Quite frankly, I don't care whether people go to church and listen or not. Like it's it's right. not it's not a breaky break breaking issue. Mm -hmm. So, but I do think um, I don't want to get into any. It's very similar to I'm working in a United Methodist church now, mm -hmm. and it's very there's nothing I say on postmodern liturgy that would really shake anybody up at the church I go to, mm -hmm. and it is more progressive. I'm really trying not to have a progressive take on things. Um, I'm fairly progressive myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm trying to honor the process and just say it's sort of like argument for argument's sake. And I really, I, I think people have not had the opportunity to think through these issues sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not asking anybody to listen to what I say and, and buy it. I'm asking them to wrestle with what I say mm -hmm. and reject it maybe. I don't care. Uh, but be presented with the idea. And I don't think there's the freedom in that for everyone who attends any certain church, you're, you're um, sort of signing up for a doctrine. You don't need to sign up for anything to visit my site. Right. Um, I just want to toss an idea at you and see what happens. And um, that just doesn't seem to be the structure of the church. So I, I think that would be the difference here is mm -hmm. that um, I'm just tossing out ideas and not asking you to 100% buy into this. I want to be supplemental. And I want to also allow even allow you the opportunity to stay at your church because you believe good things are going on but you have questions that they're not answering okay come here we'll have the questions together you can go back and you can share some of these mm -hmm. ideas you, you, whatever you want to do with it from there is great but you don't need to go on this mythical search for the perfect church which doesn't exist right Th that's sort of why it's there and why i'm not trying to create the perfect church because it doesn't exist right so that sounds very Peter Rollins-like when I hear you talking about, especially creating this space uh, of questioning. Uh, how much influence has the Emergence Church movement had on your own ecclesiology, if it has at all? And what ways has it, again, if it has at all? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was a part of that. It was very attractive when it first started, and that's everything I read for a while. I just feel like I'm doing something slightly different. Um, I'm not trying to... Essentially, okay, so I wrote my thesis on Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard's attack on Christendom, attack on the church of his time. And um, mm -hmm. long story short, what I came away with was um, this idea that you probably are not going to fix this institution. So I think the emergent church has a ton of great ideas and has been doing great things. I don't have any desire to tear it down at all. I just don't mm. feel like I'm doing exactly the same thing. I'm not trying to fix the church, um, which <laughs> that sounds mm. funny, um, but it, or if I am trying to fix the church, I'm just trying to do it one person at a time, kind of, because um, I don't have a lot of. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's it's mostly my experience, and I hate, I almost hate saying this out loud, but I don't have a lot of trust in church structures. Um, I feel like they they often mm. there are tons doing it really well, um, but church structures often start to think about themselves and start to take care of themselves and their own needs. 
And I just kind of want to supersede that a little bit, not to say I'm doing the right thing and they're not. It's just it. Once you build the thing, you have to keep the thing going. Uh, And so I'm trying to avoid this is, Mm -hmm. you know, my waffling here is so postmodern, but uh, (laughs) the uh, I'm trying to (laughs) avoid building the thing so that I don't have to take care of the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you kind of alluded to my next question that you're a huge Kierkegaard fan. How does he fit into this? So maybe you could dive in a little bit deeper into how he fits into all of this conversation that we're having. Yeah, there are tons of ways that, and because I studied, I, I want to throw Kierkegaard in every conversation because I studied Kierkegaard so deeply, <laughs> so that's unfair of me. Um, but uh, Kierkegaard, I think, fits in this conversation because Kierkegaard was working within a time where it's fascinating. The church in his time, almost 100% of Danish citizens were members of the Lutheran church, the state church in Denmark, mm. almost 100%. It was 90 some percent. Still, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. So um, he does a lot of work saying like, sort of carving out like, okay, we've made everyone Christian. What does that mean now? Because behavior, I mean, nothing has changed because we've made them Christian. In fact, the church has gone more toward the state than the, the state has influenced the church more than the church has influenced the state. And now mm. we've just made being a member of the church, being a model citizen. Um, for, for Kierkegaard, it was, I could see how someone could say he was largely just whining at the time because everything was, nothing crazy was going on in Denmark. But what I love about Kierkegaard is he sets this framework for questioning the church that is used by many people, including your boy Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. uh, to when a time comes like mid-century Germany, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying like Bonhoeffer took everything from Kierkegaard, but... Kind of did. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he did. <laughs> I think but, it's pretty safe to say. <laughs> but um, what it offers the opportunity for is when this happens, Bonhoeffer's... A, w- what's happening in Germany is... It's church versus church, actually. It's it's even Luther versus Luther because the Third Reich is using the poor parts of mm. late, later Luther yep. to undergird their argument. And Bonhoeffer is using a Kierkegaardian lens of Luther to reject this other reading of Luther. So it, it's like this cosmic church battle. Right. Um, that is an overly simplistic way to look at it. Um, but I love that. And because of being a critic in the time where things are pretty comfortable, it allows Bonhoeffer the opportunity to reject that. It didn't really work for Bonhoeffer either. Mm, uh, wow. he's, yeah. he's massively celebrated now, but uh, at the time it didn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kierkegaard offers this basically idea of let's, let's question what's going on in this institution. And uh, I, I love, there's, there's a certain reading of Kierkegaard which would basically say, Uh, It divides unity against uniformity. Mm. So um, group think versus uh, community being the collection of several individuals as opposed to a a group think mindset where we all just learn to think. No, a church community is a collection of individuals where you still have your individual. We come together in a loving community as opposed to buy into everything we say. And that's how you become a part of this community. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you lose your your individualism.
today we have They Drove Us from the Garden, a uh, wonderful band name. Uh, but before we dive into that a little bit more, uh, would you all, there's five of you right now sitting around a table. Could each one of you just introduce yourselves and then maybe what instrument you might play in the band? Cool. Yeah, I can start us off. I'm Chad. Uh, I play guitar and keys in the band. Ooh. I'm Isaiah. I play bass in the band. Great. I'm Aristotle. I also play guitar in the band. Is your name really Aristotle? It is. That is awesome. I've never met an Aristotle. That's awesome. I haven't either. I'm convinced that if it ever happens, both of our heads will explode. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no more Aristotles. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, I'm Matt, and I play drums. Great. Uh, I'm Austin, guitar. Wonderful. So, uh, one of the things I try, one of the questions I try to not ask all the bands and musicians that I I talk to on this podcast is how they came up with their band name. But yours, I'm really actually interested in because there, it seems like it's almost. I mean, it's it, it is a sentence. It's not just a. a like a noun or an adjective or a combination of that I mean it legitimately stands alone as an independent clause. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with that name and oh everybody's pointing <laughs> so We're pointing to Austin. He's the guy on this one. All right, Austin, let's hear it. Uh well, the name came from a um, passage from Mark Twain. He had a series of um, diary inserts from the point of view of Adam, Eve, uh, Lucifer uh, mm. during the whole time in the garden. And one of the first, well, the first sentence in the passage from Eve is they drove us from the garden um, with their swords. And man, it just seemed very inspiring. It was a very interesting name, very odd um selection of words just put together so i mean i pitched it and kind of stuck yeah we fell in love with it first time we heard it because picking a band name is not easy <laughs> at all i think you probably in a band go through a hundred <laughs> some of them are like okay and then some of them are just terrible and then i feel like you just kind of know when that one name hits we're just like i think we all find it like, that's a really good name that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, it. yeah, it, it feels right. It totally feels right. Uh, so you guys, uh, at the end of May, just released this short little two song EP. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the inspiration musically that went into the recording of that EP? Whew. So it, it's kind of a project that started a while ago. The songs, they were kind of like just a, I guess, a, a foundation of those songs um, and something we've never done before. I, th I think all of us can say we've never been in an instrumental band. Mm. Um, we've all played in just rock and roll bands or punk bands before that. Um, but <clears throat> the songs, I guess, inspiration or just anything from um, emotional, just Sadness, happiness, just, um, uh, man, that's, that's a tough one to, <laughs> to, yeah. to, 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 to touch on. It's, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the, the one thing that um, 
you know, people hear instrumental band and um, a lot of people are either really into it or they're quick to, um, to kind of brush it off. But I think the one thing that doesn't get talked about a lot is um, we don't, I mean, obviously we don't have words to convey a message. So mm. everyone's interpretation of the songs um, that we're writing or, or performing, um, it's, it's going to convey a different emotion for everyone, uh, for, for everyone differently. Um, and so I think with the two that we chose, we wanted to not only pick um, two songs that represent um, what we do as a whole um, with some of the other songs that you know, we'll eventually be getting to once we start recording our record, but also two songs that um, are different um, from each other to kind of convey, convey multiple uh, emotions from, from the listener. Mm. What, was there? That's awesome. Was there a conscious choice to be an instrumental band? I remember reading about Explosions in the Sky back in the day when they first started. They initially tried to have a vocalist, and then at one point maybe they like practiced without one, and they quickly realized that's who they should be as a band. Was there something that was along those lines, or did you go into this knowing? Uh, being an instrumental band is what we want to be and that fits best with the sound that we're trying to create. Yeah, I think I think this whole thing started on wanting to be an instrumental band. Um, like me, my biggest influences are the explosions in the sky, this mm -hmm. will destroy you, and Sega Rose mm -hmm. specifically. It's like my um, top three right there too. Yeah, I mean, just incredible bands. And I think it's sprung also from, and you know, I'm speaking for myself here, but I, I, I did rock and roll and like the pop punk scene and all that. And um, <clears throat> just wanted to do something differently. And it got to the point where even when I was listening to my own like musical libraries, I wasn't even listening to those bands anymore. And then mm. I just noticed that everything that I was listening to was instrumental music. Mm. And then just naturally sitting down and, and writing like these like ideas just started to kind of form i guess is is mm -hmm. like man this would be fun to just do this and experiment with this because i think you get creative with what you've been listening to at the time but it also shows i think that you know there's there's a lot of different influences going on in the music from years and years of musical libraries mm -hmm. so. But yeah, I would, I would take the answer that I think we went into it knowing that it was going to be an instrumental band. Mm. However, it has been brought up a couple of times like, man, these songs would be cool if we had some vocals here. And I, <laughs> I'm usually always like, no way. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know what they would sound like with vocals. It'd be interesting. I feel like I only know them as like mm. where they are right now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so One of the things that I I've noticed amongst instrumental bands is it's sort of hard to differentiate yourself from other instrumental bands uh a lot of the similar sounds can be made uh across lots of different bands w what is it that you think that makes your band in particular kind of unique in its sound um and might be able to differentiate itself from let's say uh, uh an explosions in the sky or this will destroy you or so on and so forth I think a lot of it just comes from just a couple of us having kind of out there musical influences or pulling from. Because hmm. me, I generally listen to a lot of like black metal, so I try to bring that into <laughs> what we're doing here, whether it's just sonically or how I'm playing it. That's something I don't generally hear in other like 
post-rock instrumental bands mm. without having to go straight like post-metal. So I think just being able to bring in our different influences that you might not see in other bands that mm -hmm. we play with or play around with. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's it's refreshing to be new to this scene because a lot of the, the bands that have been um, that were mentioned earlier kind of have a thing, you know. This mm. you know this will destroy you has a thing that they are like almost like a formula that they'll just they just like to stick to. You. And we joke about like explosions in the sky, kind of having like this this almost like bounce and kind of. Um, they do the drum roll thing. And I think being so new to the scene mm -hmm. and um, being a newer band is we don't have that thing yet. So we're kind of mm. um, pulling all of those influences together and um, mm -hmm. still finding ways to make it sound like us without having to repeat the same formula over and over again. And so there's parts that are um, heavy and a little bit darker, but there's also parts that are heavy and a little bit lighter and then um, vice versa with the slower parts. And I think we're still kind of no pun intended, but trying to find that groove. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, I mean, we've, even before the EP, we've been in this room grinding away for almost a year. Just mm. because it's, I feel like being, like being in this genre of music, like a post-rock band, is you're exploring crescendos and, and build-ups and dynamics. And it's not just getting on a stage and stomping your foot around and just, duh, 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 you know, it's, so it's all kind of new for us. It's kind of like being a, uh, I, I always keep, I always tell the dude, it's like being in an orchestra. Like you've got, mm. like kind of thinking of it that way. And to get five dudes heads on the same like platform to, to, to all think dynamically like that, it's, it just goes back to Aristotle. We're trying to find our group. And I think we're finally all starting to, to think alike, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's been really fun. We're excited. <clears throat> That's awesome. Well, speaking of some of those things that you're excited about, uh, my, my next question is, what are some of the projects you might be working on right now? Or are there any tours that are coming up or any shows that are that are coming up that all are down the, the works? Um, I think the biggest move for us right now is we want to record a record. And mm -hmm. the, the approach of it this time is that we're going to record our record ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. So if we're, I guess, talking goals, it's record, get it out to the people, social media, see what we can do, create a buzz. We would love the tour. We've discussed it. That would be fun. We'd like to see what the record does, you know, see how people approach mm -hmm. it. But those two songs that you heard, you could definitely expect on the record. So, oh, great. Yeah. We're excited about is that. There an, is there an idea of when that might come out? So we're shooting on recording the 1st of August. And then um, it's funny that you mentioned that because before this, we were discussing like, we need a game plan. Uh, the thing is, is when you're, like, you're recording at your own pace or you know, you're recording your record, you're not, you're not paying for a studio. You don't feel the pressure of like, all right, you got eight hour blocks. So it allows that freedom, which can be a good thing and also a bad thing because when you have that freedom, it's like, let's take like six months on this record but we know we shouldn't we want to pump it out as quick as we can i wish we could say i mean somebody's thrown out what spring i mean our plan was to do two kind of eps with all of our songs and kind of split them apart so hopefully yeah. we can get that first out beginning of the year it's not spring next year right mm -hmm. that would be idea yeah awesome. get it out there Awesome. 
Well, well, thank you again for for connecting with me and uh, and and for sharing your music. I, as a person who really loves post rock and, and, and instrumental music, I, I was very very impressed. Uh, like I kind of mentioned a little bit ago, it's sometimes really hard to differentiate yourselves, but I, I'm really I'm really finding that even in the in the two songs uh, on your last EP, there's a lot of uh, just nuance that you add into a song that is quite different than a lot of instrumental bands out there right now and uh, I really appreciate it. It's really good music and uh, uh, I hope the best for you all. Yeah, yeah, we really appreciate so that. That's yeah. very cool. Thank, Thank you very so much. much. You've talked about this uh, throughout the this ep- this conversation that you have a passion for the arts, especially music. So, when it comes to the creation of liturgy, uh, how is it that the church is currently failing at uh, integrating the arts and music uh, in a way that you you think could be done better? Uh, so, maybe maybe postmodern liturgy is is sort of an impetus for you to kind of think about that but anyway what what how is it that the church is currently failing at the arts and, and what do you hope to offer or what maybe do you hope that postmodern liturgy offers uh, for a better engagement church engagement with the arts sure I I don't want to pretend like I'm solving this problem I'm mm-hmm. not offering the alternative to what what I'm about to say that I think is sort of off about how the church does the arts um, I'm not solving this problem completely I sort of feel like postmodern liturgy is an opportunity for me to be an artist but I'm not presenting the perfect way to be an artist I right, want to make right. sure that's clear um, but I, I, I think um, largely and I want to divide also between like a lot of generic evangelical institutions and some things going on in maybe mainline churches. Right. They're, they're doing some more subversive stuff with the arts. But if I talk about the context that I've recently come out of, um, the evangelical institutions, the arts are this glue for any idea that mm. they want to throw at you. Um, and so music is essentially an emotional connection to an idea oftentimes I think those ideas are really harmful. So um, let's say like this overabundance of guilt within the evangelical church, like music is just the glue that puts that guilt on you and makes you carry that around even deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I don't think that sometimes the theology of the song lyrics that are being played is actually like a harmful theology. I think more often it's just so vague that it's, it doesn't, they're not really saying anything, yeah. but the emotional connection is still there. Um, I, I would like to see the church be more subversive in its lyrics. And also, music and lyrics in songs is a fantastic way to talk about theology. So th- I could give you any number of examples um, of just good lyrics versus bad lyrics or you know whatever it is. Um, but people actually do take those ideas away. They just don't then translate them to like a document where they talk about how like how is this song form my theology 
I don't, I don't know if they would necessarily make that connection, but I think it's happening. So mm -hmm. I think the way we talk about God comes from a lot of our songs. God is great. God is great over and over again, like 10 times during yep. the song. Uh, you are good, 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 good. You know, okay. <laughs> is that harmful? No, God is good. Oh, fine. Um, but our, our theology has become very vague, especially within the evangelical church, mm -hmm. because we're getting it from these songs. Um, and it's mostly like, feel better, fe feel, you know, whatever. It's, it's usually like a feel better song. You'll be saved, whatever yeah. it is. There's yeah, lots like of their songs about that kind of thing. Totally. And so there we're missing lament. We're missing questioning. We're missing any number of things. Um, that's replaced with just a, a pretty vague theology. And largely if the people who were asked to articulate their theology, it would probably sound pretty, it would sound very similar to these songs we're singing, very mm -hmm. vague um, and not really helpful at all. So in many ways, I would hope that, you know, as we advance, we engage all sorts of different um, ideas. I'd love to mention one of my favorite bands is the Oh Hellos. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know of them. Yeah. Um, but, I actually think they're writing some without trying at all and without being connected to the Christian music environment at all. But I think they're writing some of the best quote unquote Christian songs mm. of our time. Um, and <laughs> you, it, it's just no, hardly anybody ever uses them in a church service. Right. Right. Um, uh, they have a lyric that says, um, the sun, it does not cause us to grow. It is the rain that will strengthen your soul. Uh, it sounds better when you sing it than when you say it. But, um, so that sort of idea, like it's not all sunshine. Uh, it's the rain that's causing you to grow. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't think you'd ever hear that in a, a church worship song. So mm -hmm. we need to open up to those ideas and use those ideas within mm -hmm. our music in the church mm -hmm. and all other art forms. I'm just a musician, so I only talk yeah. about music. Of course. You've alluded to this next question a little bit too, but maybe we can dive a little deeper into it. Uh, as you mentioned, you're quite familiar with Bonhoeffer, especially uh, Bonhoeffer's engagement with Kierkegaard. How does Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity speak to the work that you're doing uh, in postmodern liturgy? Yeah, I think that would be that'd be a little more difficult for me to answer because of, I know more Kierkegaard than I know Bonhoeffer. Right, right. And I know the connections, but I don't know Bonhoeffer as well. Um, but I, I think um, I think Bonhoeffer ends up being sort of untouchable because of the context he was writing in. So you can't right. say, I feel similar to Bonhoeffer in this regard because yeah. I'm not experiencing anything like what Bonhoeffer is experiencing. Um, but essentially, you know, this, this idea of, I, I think religionless Christianity is removing that structure that we're talking about and mm -hmm. being what Kierkegaard talked about was uh, contemporaneousness with Christ. Um, he rejected the church structure because he knew he was able to engage with a living God. Uh, mm. And he didn't need this ladder that was built, like, you know, to climb up there. It was uh, an engagement with God. And for all those people who are working against church structures, they're just in very familiar. I, I envy this sense of, I actually feel like what I'm doing is what I'm called to be doing, even though everybody's really annoyed with me that I won't shut up about this thing. Um, I've often in my life experienced this idea of like, wh why do you always have to ask questions? <laughs> why do you always have to push so hard? Just leave us alone. Or like, we're doing good things here. Okay. Yes. You're doing good things here. Can I not ask my questions too? Mm. Um, like, uh, it, it, if you know the Enneagram, I'm a one. 
So like, oh, okay. I know. I'm like just the annoying perfectionist uh, reformer. So I like and explain I, why you're so good at emailing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, everything has to be perfect. So that's bad in certain ways. Um, but I would say like, no, it's never enough to um, if 80% of things are right, that's not enough. For me. Like, mm-hmm. and I would say that that's where I feel um, Bonhoeffer because of that attitude is able to see things before they become a massive problem. Uh, where most people would say, uh, well, it's fine. It's fine. Obviously in the end, it wasn't fine. Everybody knew that. Um, but toward the beginning, it, it listening to the people who are saying, well, let's be careful about this. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's how I sort of relate to Bonhoeffer, but it's, like I said, it's mostly through uh, the Kierkegaardian connection. Yeah. Last question, Anthony, how can listeners get connected with you and your work? Yeah. So we are, I, I'd love for you to check us out on all the pod, not all. I did the major podcast apps, but like uh, <laughs> iTunes, check in there. You can subscribe. Also, we're on Spotify. And then definitely www.postmodernliturgy.com. We, I do the podcast. I also have a, a really good friend who actually is more, he's uh, getting his PhD in English right now, oh, which, wow. ends, which ends up being a continental philosophy degree almost. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, we always joke that basically, he writes things and I read it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're brilliant. His name's Jake Reber. Oh my gosh, you're brilliant. Um, and then other people maybe read it and they're like, I don't even know what you're saying. And I'm like, Oh, well, here it is. Here's, here's what he's saying. They're like, Oh, so I'm like the, I'm like the poor man's interpretation for Jake, but a lot of the really good ideas come from Jake. Yeah. You're like the Rob Bell. Yes. The John Caputo or whatever, whenever, you know, Rob Bell riffs on like Caputo or Richard Rohr or whoever he does. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Or every time Rob, uh, every time Rob interviews Pete Rollins, like it's like this perfect, yeah, yeah. he always sums up whatever he said. Yeah. Um, so I almost can understand it. I can hear it, but, and then I translate it differently. So I think that's how we work well as a team on www.postmodernliturgy.com. Uh, we're at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. But I'm thinking about giving up Twitter because it's a crazy world that it is. <laughs> It is. I love Twitter. I, I really love it, but I can see why a lot of people really dislike it. Well, when so when you're like when you're trying to do something on Twitter, it feels like you have to find the most ridiculous thing to say, like get angry or get uber <laughs> feel some deep emotion, and those are the ones that are successful. I'm like, yeah. I I typically just go like total self deprecation, and for whatever yeah, reason, it tends to work. Yeah, you're hilarious on it, it's a mixture of like you make a serious point while being funny on on uh, social media. So right. I enjoy that. So, yeah, connect with us there. That's how you can uh, get connected. Um, and I would say thanks for having me. This is honestly my first time I've ever been interviewed. So, hey, how about that? Went well, yeah, you yeah, you, you did really great. And I, I just really enjoy the work that you're doing. I've been I've been paying attention and reading all the things and listening to episodes. And uh, yeah, I don't know how it was. I think. Uh, I have another podcast that I do, and I think you followed that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, postmodern liturgy—that's like right up my alley. When I think about ecclesiology and postmodernity and all those sort of things, and I was like, I have to get connected with these people. So I was really grateful that we were able to connect and, and to be able to have this conversation. Anytime I'm able to have a conversation about postmodernism and ecclesiology and liturgy and and Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer and all those great uh, those great things and people, uh, I, I'm, I'm always in a joyous place. It's my happy place. Yeah. 
Yeah, awesome. I'm so glad you. Re I'm so glad my stocking worked because that's what that was my marketing strategy. Very for good. Yeah, <laughs> stocking people. <laughs> can't can't beat the marketing strategy of stocking. So thank you again, Anthony. Right. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you. that episode left you hanging and you're wanting more from both Anthony and They Drove Us from the Garden, you can find links to connect to them and their work in the episode description. Again, you can also connect to me through my website, masonmeniga.com. There you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, if Religionless Church matters to you, support by giving a rating and review and by becoming a patron of my Patreon page. Thank you for listening to Religionless Church. I send you out with this. May the divine bless you with doubt and keep you disrupted. May the divine make the divine's face of infinitude shine upon you and show you graciousness to your own finitude. May the divine lift up the divine's countenance of justice upon you and give you whole unsatisfaction, now and forever. So be it.